You know, I, um, I got to be honest with you, I had a tr- an incredible lunch uh, with Pastor Wayne and Pastor Lynn. And, you know, you, you, you get around a lot of people doing what I do, and you, you get around some people who have great experience, and they have great nuggets of truth. Um, but then you get around people who have not only carried that, but they've got encounter, they've got experience, they've got depth. And I just think one more time, in the mind of God, I'm so grateful that he shared and whispered to their heart uh, well over a year ago to make this weekend happen for all of us to encounter God. And I just want to thank the Lord for Pastor Wayne and Pastor Lynn. Come on, can you thank your lead pastors? I honor the both of you as this being a baby that you guys have birthed before I ever touched a mic. And so I'm, I'm truly honored to stand in this moment. Um, but uh, I, I feel like we have had, man, we have, we've had church. Uh, I'm telling you, it's been incredible. And uh, people are marked. I'm getting messages on social media from everybody saying this is what God's done. And I'm absolutely blown away. And, and uh, I, I think the whole afternoon, I've just been in this state of reverence with God's presence in my hotel room while I'm praying. And just, I just feel like there's a, there's a sacredness, especially to the weekend, but tonight... Tonight, there's something special. And if I could, uh, I, I think there people have been with us throughout the whole weekend. But if there's some new friends in the room who could, decided to cancel plans, carve out time and be in this moment. And let me just journey you one real quick second of what God has done. We, we showed up on Friday morning and the leaders, the pastors and, and key pastors from around the city and other churches came together and God began to overdose us on courage. I don't know about anybody else, but we need high amounts of courage. I'm talking about insane levels of courage that come on our, our, our shepherds, our pastors, our leaders, those voices in the church. And then Friday night, man, God met us in a powerful way. And the word was very simple, surrender. It wasn't just surrender sin or surrender pain. Come on, it was surrender your plans, what you think is best, surrender natural reasoning, and move into a place where you're buying oil and fresh oil. And then Saturday morning, we had a very, very special time with uh, the marketplace uh, leaders. And that was, that was incredible as we walked away really framing out what God could do through these several key uh, uh, voices uh, in the room. Everybody matters. Everybody can add value. Everybody can change the city. Everybody can storm the nation in a, in a powerful way. And then Saturday night, last night, come on, the prophetic word of God started coming forward. And really, it was about your spiritual sight and how over these next 90 days starting tomorrow, I really feel like God has visitation. You know, when, when, when visitation is promised from the Lord, how many of you know he's not just coming just to check in? He's coming to rearrange. He's coming to challenge. He's coming to build. He's coming to heal. And I, I want to tell you, when, when, when Moses would walk in to the tent of meeting, there was such an expectation of Moses to come out with direction or words of life that the people would quickly understand the visitation wasn't just for Moses, it was the nation. And as he would walk to the tent, the people would go to the front of their tent and wait and watch Moses come in. And then eventually it would all peel off. But there would be one person who would kneel at the door of the tent and his name was Joshua. 
And I feel like this is exactly what God is going to do these 90 days. Is eventually you will be like Joshua at the door of the tent. But there will come a turning point in those 90 days. For everyone it's different. That you will not be outside the tent. But you will literally be enraptured, encased and covered by the presence of Almighty God. And you will be the temple that he wants. I'm telling you these 90 days are very, very intentional. And so on that... We talked this morning and God was ministering to us about being built correctly. And uh, if you didn't hear that message, I'm sure you can go hear it online. But I, I just felt the journey was so important to, re- to recap that. But I want to come in to this text. Can we just jump right in? Is that okay? Can we do that? All right. Meet me in Mark chapter 10. Mark, the 10th chapter. And um, I, I love the book of Mark. I feel like Mark has a way of keeping it supernaturally real. This man is 100, make it plain, many, many times. He will add stuff that you will not see in other Gospels. I I love the Gospel of Mark. And in this particular uh, uh, instance, this is a person that is someone become very, very dear to me, uh, I would say in the last six months. This, This takes place about a week before Jesus' crucifixion and is the last miracle in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 10, verse 46, it says, Now they, Jesus and his disciples, came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. Oh my gosh. Then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise. He is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? I'm going to repeat Jesus's question because I feel the invitation extended as people are increasing their spiritual awareness right now. And the spirit of revelation is moving throughout this crowd, both here, Darwin and Alice Springs. God asks you, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. There is so much here. Can you feel it? There is like, you could, you could just throw gas on any of this and boom, we're going to burn another horse. If you were here on Friday, you would get that joke. If you missed it, that's your problem, all right? There is so much here, and I want to unpack it all. But friend, let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ to flood every heart. Lord, tonight is not the end of something. 
But I come into alignment and agreement with what's been declared. It is not the finishing of something. It is the beginning, the starting, the launching of a fresh outpouring, not just on Hope Center, but in Brisbane, Alice Springs. Lord, do it in Morton, in Ipswich. God, do it in every area of this great nation. God, would you break through the plastic, the shallow, the religious, the dead, the dry, the fruitless, and would you consume Consume altars like never before. Touch the hearts of men and women like never before. Birth something fresh and new like never before. We don't want church of 2022. We don't want the outpourings of the last 10 years. We desire the fresh outpouring of today. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I break blindness. I break deafness. Lord, I break numbness and I call people into hyper spiritual awareness, God, that they would be quickened in their spirit unlike anything before. Lord, that they would hear you with extreme levels of clarity, God, that you would dispatch angels to their backside, to their front side, to their left and to their right, that you would watch over everything that is theirs according to Psalm 16, 5, that you would watch over their families you would watch over their careers you would watch over their callings you would watch over Lord their marriage you would watch over their integrity you would watch over their anointing God I thank you you are activated by these prayers in the mighty name of Jesus we say do it and everyone said amen amen Amen. I I want to speak to you from this title cries over echoes cries over echoes i i don't know about anybody else but i hate to wait like i'm not impatient but i don't do lines i'm not impatient i really am not i'm not impatient but i hate i hate i repeat i hate to wait i I feel like i could have planned it better i could have got there in time i'm just not a great waiter it doesn't mean i'm impatient it just means I, I thank you, Pastor Wayne. I got one amen, and it matters, right? Like, it did, like I hate to wait. Well, one time I was, uh, I was cleaning out my backyard. We had just moved into this new home, and a lot of the bush and a lot of the trees and the shrubs and the vines had overgrown on the fence, and, and I had to cut it back. And so it took me the good part of a Saturday to cut back all of these branches and all of these weeds and all of this grass. And I didn't know it, but the entire day, your boy had been standing in poison oak. Now, if you don't know what poison oak is, this, uh, I, you can be hyper allergic to it, which I didn't realize I was. I actually had to leave from that after finishing, go to a conference. When I was done, I came home and I took my shoe off of my right foot. And I'm telling, it's like my foot like flopped out of my shoe. You ever seen Nutty Professor, old school movie, right? You've seen it's like, just comes out of the shoe. And I'm looking at it. And then I'm looking at my whole leg, and my whole leg is completely swollen. Like, you can't even tell I have a calf muscle. You can't even see my ankles. It was like a, it was like a leg with a foot. It looked like a, a, a messed up Barbie and Ken that got melted by a fire or chewed on by a dog, and he spit it out. That's what my leg looked like. I remember looking at it, and I'm thinking, oh, well, what am I going to do? Well, I thought, you know, all my body's juices had collected down here. 
So I thought, you know what? I'm going to sleep with two pillows, put them on top of my feet, and all them juices are going to roll right back to where they are. This is called Mexican intuition. All right? And I'm embarrassed to admit this, but even to add to it, I thought just to help him move because we're Hispanic, this is what we do. I sprayed some Windex on my foot. I don't know why. It's like our cure for anything. I don't know what it is about Windex, but we spray it on everything. Oh, you know what? You, you got a bloody nose. They're going to put Windex on your face. You know, like there's like something about Windex. It's like a Mexican anointing oil is what it is. And so like, I remember I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm going to sleep. I wake up the next morning and my leg is like double the size. I, I'm thinking this is not good. Well, I have to preach in our church that morning. I try to put my foot in every pair of shoe, shoes that I own, they will not fit. I mean, it was like trying to shove uh, uh, like uh, 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 a toy on my foot. It was not. The only thing that fit was a pair of sandals. And it was pathetic. My toes didn't even reach the full sandal. It was like trying, like, like trying. And I remember I was preaching and I had sandals on, which that was a new, that was great to explain to my senior pastor at that time. And I remember I'm walking around like this because I don't want the sandal to fall off. I'm, I'm like, this is, this is a true story. I told you I struggle with the spirit of stupid. So like I, I remember I'm walking around and after the service, one of the uh, nurses in our church comes up to me. And she goes, Pastor Chris, were you around any like trees or vines? I said, yeah, I was cleaning out my yard. She's like, I know what's wrong with you. You, you need to go to the, you need to go to the, uh, you need to go to this little clinic. And because I think you might have some poisoning. And I'm thinking, I ain't going to no clinic. I ain't going to no doctor. I put Windex on last night. She was unaware of the medicinal purposes that Windex could carry in my life. So. So like I do what any Hispanic guy does after church. I don't go to the medical clinic. I go to my mom's house because I came to eat, baby. Come on, how many you know mama cooks it right? And so I'm sitting there and my, my, my mom's like, what's wrong with your foot? Like, what's wrong with your leg? And I told her, I don't know. It's like big. And I don't know if it's all muscle because I've been doing this new workout or if it's, I, I, I just wasn't, I'm just dumb. And so I, she's like, I'm not serving you food until you go to this clinic. I'm like, what? And she, my dad's like, come on, I'll take you. Well, they named this clinic Care Now. They don't mean that. They don't mean that. They, they mean Care Later <laughs> or Care Less. That's what they mean, but they don't mean like, come on, you know what I'm talking about. They've got them in Australia too. They're like, well, we could care when we want to. Like there is nothing that they care about. Right. So I remember I go there and uh, I, I fill out all the paperwork. It's real like two forms. And and uh, and I remember the, the doctor comes and goes, is there a Mr. Estrada? This guy, this doctor is dressed in a Hawaiian shirt and khaki shorts and white Reeboks. I'm thinking this guy got his doctorate in the mail off of a catalog. There is no way. This guy takes me into the room. I'm in this room for maybe two minutes. He looks me up and down and says, oh, you've got a blood clot. You're about to have a heart attack. You need to go to the hospital. I'm like, what? No, no, doc, I put Windex on my leg last night. There's no way. And, and he's like, no, you need to go to the hospital. Well, my dad's there. My dad's like, hey, we're going to the hospital. Now, this hospital is in the hood. This is the ghetto. 
All right, this is where all the trouble's at. It's the closest one there. And he's like, you have to go to this hospital. So I remember (laughs) I walk into this hospital and there's like this sign that says emergency. They don't mean that. (laughs) They don't mean that. They don't, (laughs) you have an emergency. They don't have any emergencies. All right. So like, I remember I walk in and I, I said, hi, I, I, I'm a little panicked now. I'm like, listen, man, I said, hi, listen, my name is, uh, my name is uh, Estrada and, and I'm supposed to, uh, like I have a blood clot. I think I'm supposed to have open heart surgery or something like that right now. But I, listen, I put Windex on so it helped. It did some of your job. And, and I, like I'm trying to communicate. This lady doesn't even look at me. She's just sitting there and she hands me this big old pile of forms. It's like a book. Boom. Like, hey, fill this out and I'll be with you in a second. And I was like, Ma'am, it says emergency. It it said, literally, right here, it says emergency. And I'm about to die. And then she looks up and she goes, baby, I can make you wait 10, 12, 24 hours if I want to. Now, you want to fill out this paperwork or you want to wait on me? I said, I'll fill out the paperwork. I'm going to fill out the paperwork. (laughs) I remember I walk over. What I'm about to tell you happened in a span of like two minutes. I kid you not. I'm sitting there. Now, when you walk into the paperwork section of a doctor's visit, there is mo- most of that is filled out in the waiting room. And can we establish a global rule across all of the planet that when you're in a waiting room, there is a one chair separation rule between you sitting next to people. Can I just say, now that doesn't matter. That doesn't count at Hope Center, obviously tonight, or even Darwin or Alice Springs. But uh, there is a one chair. You don't just go and sit next to somebody you don't know. You give them a one chair cushion buffer, right? And then then you don't have to feel like they're breathing on you or looking at your texts or rubbing arms and, and, and whatever, right? So I'm sitting there and my dad's sitting across from me. And I'll never forget, a guy comes in and he comes in going like this. He goes, I'm not lying. That's the sound. That's the weirdest sound you could walk into a hospital with. You don't know if you're having a baby. You don't know if you're dealing with broccoli from the other night. You don't know anything. Just like that. And he comes and where does he sit? Right next to me. There's, I kid you not, there's like 50 open chairs. Where does, decide to land right to my right. He's in there, in the chair, arr, arr, arr. and I'm like trying to feel, I'm like, and I'm like, bro, what happened to you? And he's sitting there, arr. he said, I, I have a hernia and it broke through the skin and he lifts up his shirt and it looks like an alien is punching his way out of this guy's stomach. I'm thinking, what? I'm, t- I'm like, no way. I'm not lying, this is all in two minutes. Then all of a sudden a guy comes in from outside and is like, ah, 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 ah. This is the sounds people make. Don't make sounds in a waiting room. Listen, you're going to be single the rest of your life if you do this. I'm telling you, ah, 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 like some little troll of Frodo Baggins looking thing coming, ah, ah, right? And then he comes and where does he sit? To my left. I'm literally, I'm looking at the window, I'm like, why? Of course, he's making his, and I said, bro, what happened to you? He looks at me and goes, man, I just got shot, and I think they're still chasing me. I said, what? (laughs) This is true. 
This is a true story. My dad is laughing at me. He's like, oh, ha, 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 right in there. I mean, my dad is wicked. So, like, I, I remember I was sitting there. I mean, I filled out that paperwork so fast. I went, as I'm trying to finish filling out, all of a sudden, this is a true story. Two minutes, a woman escapes from the back rooms of the emergency room. No, no, escapes. <laughs> she comes out, and she has two balloons tied to her elbows with two cups of coffee and a hospital gown that is not buttoned in the back. And she comes out and she announces to the waiter, I am the evangelist cherub of God that is sent to the waiting rooms of America's hospitals to declare that the glory of the Lord is in this place. And she does the full 360. True story. I'm like, there was a glory, but it wasn't God's glory. That's a fact. I'm like rushing through this paperwork. I go over. I'm sure the lady behind the counter can see that this Mexican is not going to make it another two minutes. So she takes my word. She says, baby, come with me. I go back there. The doctor takes two looks at me. He goes, mm, mm, you have poison ivy. Here's some cream. Here's a prescription. Free pills. You're done. And that was it. I, went, I had to get on the plane the next day and go to Columbia. I, I remember being in this waiting room with aliens being birthed to my right and gunshots to my left and crazy folk escaping the hospital in the back. I, I remember the Lord speaking to me and says, your life sounds like this too sometimes, doesn't it? Isn't it interesting how when the promises of God, the invitations of God, the encounter of God comes in and then you're waiting for that breakthrough and God says, I'm going to give you a prophetic word and the excitement comes up. And then all of a sudden you're so convinced because the word was so accurate that it's going to happen tomorrow. And you're like, man, no, they were so on. It's going to happen on Tuesday. I don't know why, but Tuesday. And Tuesday comes and goes and you're still stuck in a waiting room with aliens gunshots and insane people i i think that a lot of us feel like our cries are never heard and we have been praying and calling we have been discerning we've been declaring we've been doing everything we can until you feel like my cry is no longer cries it's just an echo i can't tell you how many times i just didn't like being in the situation how many times I found myself in the same circumstances but with different names? How many times I would face down things like we don't have enough or there's not going to be anybody there or we don't know if they were going to make it and all of a sudden the cries of my heart started coming out and I would be on repeat over and over for a season until all of a sudden I felt like I had no breakthrough. I felt like it was dry. I felt like I was nothing but burdened and now I felt like my cries were just echoes. And I believe, this is the, pro I feel this pro prophetic edge on the message tonight, that you have not been an echo chamber church. That your wife, 
Your husband, your children are not caught up in the echoes, the patterns, the reciprocals of your life. They are caught up in the cries of your heart. The ones you have said in English, the ones you have said in the spirit, and the ones that you could only be able to put together in your heart. And God is saying, I'm going to choose your cries over your echoes. I know that you may think that I'm crying, you're crying out and it just sounds like you're on repeat. But friend, I'm activated. I'm moving on your life. Is there anyone who wants to shut down the echo chambers of their heart and their mind and move from echoes to Christ? If we're going to do that, I want to give you three things to stop the echoes. Number one, you have to have a cry. You cannot come into seasons of encounter and desperation with your normal echoes. You can't worship the same. You can't pray the same. You cannot fast the same. You can't do the same Bible studies. You don't need to recapture the outpouring of last year. No, 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 friend. It's time for a new cry. It's time for a fresh cry. It's time for something to erupt on the inside of you. And if it doesn't make sense in English, then you need to get baptized in the Holy Spirit so that it will make sense in the Spirit and you'll feel some sense of relief. But friend, I'm here to tell you, don't you dare think there's not a cry on the inside of your soul. God wants to hear your cries. You need a cry. You need something that grips you and moves you into something fresh. And you cannot cry other people's cries. I told the leaders on Friday, I said one of the greatest mistakes I've ever made and what I see a lot of young leaders making is they live off a second-hand revelation instead of first-hand revelation. And so now they carry pastor so-and-so's cry and YouTube channel so-and-so's cry and the message from that church's cry and the cry from that powerful sermon in that conference and they live off of other people's cry. You cannot live off of other people's cries. I had a, a, a friend, he was a, a worship leader for us at CFNI. And about 10, 12 years ago, there was a sound that was sweeping across the globe, and it was beautiful, it was awesome, God was moving in it, God was doing something with it, but I began to recognize that he was trying to tailor his voice to sound like someone he wasn't. So he would get up and he would lead worship, and he would try to sing and mimic somebody else's sound and, and abilities in their own worship. He tried to become someone else's voice with his own voice. About two months into this, he starts having vocal problems. He starts losing his voice. Literally, he cannot sing. And he's so frustrated, he hits about three months of this, and he's like, I have to go see a doctor. There's got to be something wrong. They do a checkup on him. He doesn't have anything broken, no nodules, nothing wrong with his voice. And then he, he's like, the doctor's like, I'm sorry. I mean, I can prescribe some stuff, but I don't see anything wrong. He gets back in his car and the spirit of God speaks to him. And he says, you want to know why you don't have a voice? And he said, why? He said, because you're trying to use somebody else's voice with your voice. I gave them that voice, but I gave you your voice. And you cannot pretend to have somebody else's voice. I put a fresh cry on the inside of you. There has got to be a fresh cry that doesn't just come out of Pastor Wayne or Pastor Lynn or Pastor Luke or Pastor... It's got to come out of your own heart. We need cries again, not echoes. If you want a sustainable encounter, 
You cannot sound like everybody else. You sound like the unique one God called you. This is what really irritated them. I love verse 48. It says, then many warned him, be quiet. But Bartimaeus cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. You know what I've noticed is that desperate people are starting to separate themselves from the rest of the pack of Christianity. Across the globe, I'm looking at radical hunger that is starting to create a gap between those who want him and those who just want a service or those who just want a sermon or those who just want a song. I'm telling you, there is something about the hungry that when God comes into the room, they are doing things, they are behaving in a certain way that will make the religious irritated and God's okay with it because he knows that's the cry. I want that cry. This is what I love about David's. This is what I love about Mary's. This is what I love about Bartimaeus's. They're disruptors. They break protocol. They go against common man-made traditions. And they break through to a place with a fresh cry. Come on, I feel like there's a Bartimaeus in the room. I feel like there's Mary's in the room. I feel like there's David's in the room. God must have a fresh cry. Hey, this, this, when I read this, I, I, this part of the verse just frustrated me. They warned him to be quiet. They warned him to be quiet. If this don't sound like a bunch of religious, dry, empty wineskins. I'm talking about Facebook prophets, Twitter apostles. People addicted to Christian TMZ, which is really demonic gossip. That If this don't sound like a bunch of used-to-be's, used-to-be spiritually sharp, used-to-be spiritually elite, used-to-be reliable to heaven, but their cries got casual and they became echoes and lost their shout. I, 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 they, listen, I want to say this to you as you embark on 90 days of visitation. Come on, Alice Springs. Come on, Darwin. I really feel this. That being content is okay, but being satisfied, that's dangerous. You cannot afford to be satisfied. You can be content. This is the mystery of heaven about spiritual hunger. Is that in the, all in the same moment, you can be so satisfied or content with the things of God and be hungry for more. But when your satisfaction doesn't breed a greater appetite, you have lost your cry and you have lost your shout. But let it be said that Encounter Weekend, God woke something up on the inside of us and Mary started to break oil open and David started to get undignified and Bartimaeus cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. I think these used-to-be's forgot what they used to be. They forgot they used to be depressed. They used to be sick. They used to be in bondage. They they used to be broken. They used to be blind. They used to be addicted. Come on. Is there anyone grateful for what you used to be? You used to be insecure. You used to be plagued. You used to have anxiety. You used to have that. But then a cry came forward. Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. Something about a fresh cry. This is interesting because you look at this and Bartimaeus chooses, I'm no longer an echo. Nobody had a problem with his echo. Because you have to understand, Bartimaeus has been doing this his entire life. He was born blind. 
He was born blind. He was an echo. He went to the same place, did the same thing, asked the same way. His request was always the same. He was an echo. Every morning, get there, spread out my beggar's cloak. Hopefully, when I ask over and over again, people will have pity on me. And the echo of his life began to happen over and over and over again. Nobody had a problem with his echo, but when his cry came, oh man, I know who I'm preaching to right now, but I know I'm talking to somebody in this room. Nobody had a problem when you were in the world and you were getting so high and so drunk and so messed up. But when all of a sudden a fresh cry for the things of God started to come out of your heart, did you notice how many people had a problem? How many people thought you were a lunatic? How many people started accusing you that you're a fanatical friend? That's what cries do. They interrupt spiritual climates. They come against the social norms and they disrupt the kingdom of darkness. We need a cry again. God. Put a fresh cry in the house tonight. It's interesting because you have to recognize that, that his cry, this is wild to me. Bartimaeus' cry is completely off. He's literally, son of David, have mercy on me. As if he did something wrong. Because he has been conditioned by the culture of his day. Because if you were born with sickness or disease, it meant that it was a form of punishment on your life. It meant that somehow, some way, you did something wrong, and you being blind your entire life was a form of God's rejection and hatred towards you. It was punishment. It was torment towards you. This is what, this, this is what blows my mind about Bartimaeus. Is Bartimaeus did not have the right theology, yet God still heard him. This is why I'm telling you, your cry doesn't have to be polished. Your cry doesn't have to be perfect. Your cry doesn't have to sound like mine. Your cry doesn't have to be as eloquent as the person next to you. But friend, it better be genuine. It better be authentic. It better come from a place where there's desperation that's leading that, that God, son of David, have mercy on me. And if the cries come, and then all of a sudden, Jesus stands still. You better pay attention when he stands still. Many times we see Jesus moving, active, but very few do we see him standing still. Which brings me to the second point. Number one, you need a cry. If you're going to do cries over echoes, number one, you need a cry. Number two, you need a calling. You need a calling. This is interesting to me. You know, (laughs) verse 49, so Jesus stood still and commanded him to be, what? To be, come on church, to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise. He is calling you. Now one thing you'll understand about scripture is a hermeneutic law is basically pay attention to what's repeated. You have to pay attention to what's repeated. He is, three times in almost one verse, it's the word call. And so Jesus called him. Then they, listen, those who told him to be quiet are now escorting him to his call. Jesus called him, then they called him, be of good cheer, he is calling you. Bartimaeus wasn't just getting cured. 
he was getting called. Now, I think we've looked at this verse so one-dimensional because we looked at the surface value. The biggest problem in Bartimaeus' life was his blindness. No. The biggest problem in Bartimaeus' life is he needed a calling. He didn't need just physical sight. I want to help you out tonight. Some of you, what you think you need is not what you need. I know that you probably, you need a breakthrough. God's all for breakthroughs. You need a healing. God's going to heal you. I promise you. But there is bigger things happening on your behalf than you just getting the little goosebump and checking a box and a little touch. He is trying to birth a calling on the inside of you. You know, I had a friend of mine. He, um, he, he, he called me. And he said, hey, I don't know why, but I'm supposed to call you. Now, you guys, I said this this morning or last night. God has been really speaking to me about spiritual sight the last like two years. In this season of two years about spiritual sight, a friend of mine calls me. He says, I don't know why, but the spirit of God put this on my heart to share with you what I did this weekend. I said, OK. And he said, I went to a cabin I'm familiar with that's in our family. He said, I, and the Lord told me to do a fast. I was like, awesome. And he said, but it wasn't like what you think. I said, okay, what'd you fast? He said, I fasted sight. He said he took a blindfold. He put the blindfold on. And when he arrived on Friday until he left on Sunday, he never took it off. And he said that immediately when he could not see, everything in other senses was heightened. When it was taken away, it's amazing how he could use his sense of touch his sense of hearing, perhaps even his sense of smell. I don't know if he's licking a wall every now and then, but he might have been using some taste. And I, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, man, this is, this is definitely out of the box. And this is what gripped me. He said, Chris, I had no choice but to depend, but to depend on my other senses. What I'm here to tell you is some of you have been hearing God, but you've not been seeing him. Some of you have been seeing him, but you've not been feeling him. Some of you, you can feel the direction, the nudge of the Holy Spirit. But man, you, you just can't hear him for some reason. I mean, it just seems like all the senses are... I'm telling you, this 90 days of visitation is he's going to activate all of your senses. You do realize... I'm just going to take a rabbit trail here, but it bears fruit. That you do realize you have spiritual senses. Like, in the natural... Touch, taste, smell, hearing, and sight is your physical sense. You do realize you have that in your spirit. You're like, okay, give me scripture for this so I don't sound weird. I would love to. Remember David? He's like, a a thousand bulls being sacrificed is a sweet, smelling aroma to you. I don't know about anybody else, but you know my story. I have smelt burning carcass. (laughs) It is not a sweet smelling aroma. It's wrong. It don't smell right. It's wicked. It's wrong. Right? And David's like, it smells sweet smelling aroma. No, what's he saying? He's saying in his spirit, it's an offering to remove sin off of the, off of the nation. David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I mean, what are you going to, what are you going to do? Come on, Darwin. Come on, Alice, taste and see. You're going to lick God? No, no, he's talking about my spirit has tasted the goodness of God. Remember, uh, uh, Elisha, 
He's sitting at the edge of a mountain because he's called in. Literally, it will not rain until my word three and a half years goes by. And finally, God says, all right, send the rain. And so he goes to the cliffs and he's overlooking the sea and he's in the fetal position, birthing something, a prophetic act. And he's literally saying to his servant seven times, go and look. And seven times the servant says, I see nothing, nothing on the seventh time. The servant goes and says, I see the cloud, the size of a man's fist coming out. Notice Elisha's response. He said, that's it for I hear the sound of rain. Are you seeing this? Now, why am I bringing this up to you? Do you remember in Hebrews when he says, you ought to be having meat by now, but you still need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word. You are in need of milk and nobody shoves steak down a baby's throat because you will damage, if not kill that baby. He's literally saying meat is reserved for those, watch this, who by reason of use have had their senses exercised, or the word there is trained. The re- this is why I didn't say all of this last night. These 90 days, it's sharpening time. It's chiseling time. It's developing. It's fine-tuning. It's where you felt weak. I guarantee you at the end of these 90 days, you will feel strong because God is getting rid of the echo chambers of your life and he's calling in some fresh cries and those cries are going to lead you on a destiny path where you find your true life's calling. And when you stand in your true life's calling, friend, can't nothing stop calling. You can't argue with calling. You can't outrun calling. You can't outdo calling. You can't outlast calling. You can't even sabotage calling. When you're calling, you're called by the one who put the stars in the sky who told the sea they can only come this far who created night and day you're called by the alpha the omega the one you have a cry you also are going to get a calling i feel this tonight because i'm so quickened in my spirit there's something about people who get a call notice nothing is more powerful than when heaven claims you I'm telling you, I, I've watched this come on my life, on my children, my wife especially. Nothing latches on to Bartimaeus faster. Not just as he, it was the calling. Do you remember what happened to Bartimaeus? Bartimaeus, watch this. They said, Jesus stops, stands still, and he calls Bartimaeus so that he sends the people who told him to shut up and be quiet. Hey, he's calling you. Be of good cheer. He is calling you are you seeing this now why am i bringing this up watch how fast people will switch up in these 90 days people are going to change their opinions about you people i'm not talking about for the the worse i'm talking about for the better i'm telling you like your family that has not saved when they see a fresh desperation come on you I'm telling you, it will pull them into salvation with the Lord Jesus. There's going to be souls that are one. There's going to be lives that are changed. And it's all because heaven's claims started to come on your life. The same thing happened with Gideon. The same people who wanted to kill him. Do you remember this? Gideon, like, tears down all the idols. The men of the city wake up the next morning, figure out it's Gideon. They're on their way to kill this guy. Gideon's dad steps in front and says, hey, if Baal really is God, then he could should come down and put himself together and then put him back up. If not, Gideon did us a favor and he destroyed, we've been serving the wrong God. And everybody's like, oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. 
Then Gideon grabs a trumpet. You're going to find this guy. This brother loves some trumpets. Grabs a trumpet, blows a trumpet, Judges 6.34, and the Spirit of God fell upon Gideon. The same people who wanted to kill him ended up joining his initial army. Are you seeing this? The favor of God. I'm reminded of what happened with Jesus when he got his calling. Jesus grew in favor and wisdom with God and with men. I'm telling you, there's a favor coming on your life. These 90 days are not meant just to have a spiritual vacation or a spiritual target. But there's a favor that's coming on your family. A favor that's coming on your marriage. You're going to have a cry. And you're going to have a calling. Here's the last thing. If you want to break the echo chambers, you need a cry. You need a calling. And you need a question. I love this. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, he, he can tell this man's poor, rough life, worn out, burnt out, whittled down. And he literally says, what do you want me to do for you? I, I, uh, I remember when God asked me this just recently. I gave you a little bit about what we do, and I shared, obviously, with the marketplace, but to kind of bring this into focus for the rest of the church, I, I'm a missionary, really. And uh, our vision at Missions Me is unite the global church for the salvation and transformation of nations. And I'll never forget... Uh, uh, our last international footprint was in Peru, where we brought 10,000 missionaries from 43 different nations, 150 plus organizations represented. And I wish I had time to tell you about the 47 citywide water wells we dug in seven days, or the 3,000 high schools we went into in five days, or even the women's empowerment that, uh, conferences and movement that we started, or the firefighters of Christ, the sports clinics, the 14, I'm trying, the 12 medical clinics in 14 different cities, the, the logging boats we remodeled to make them into medical triage centers and send them down the fingers of the Amazon River where people were getting care and aid and treatment. And at the same time, we're watching legs grow out. We're watching eyeballs appear in sockets. We're watching the miraculous happen. And then we culminated in the 10 stadiums on the same night at the same time and never advertised one name, not one man, not one band, not one woman. We always say it's not about the messenger, it's about the message. And we filled up 10 stadiums on the same night at the same time. And in seven days, we watched 1.1 million people give their lives to Jesus and were still found in a local church weeks later. We figured that was our fourth nation. We're like, okay, now we have something of a blueprint. We get off. A Zoom call with a world leader. God speaks to us. And he says, you're not going to that nation. And we said, okay, Lord, what's happening? He said, I'm reassigning this vision. I'm reassigning you. And we said, okay, Lord, where? He said, I'm going to make an aggressive move on America. We said, okay, Lord, where do you want to start? He said, I want to start in Los Angeles. We're like, surely you mean Dallas. <laughs> you meant Tulsa, right? Like somewhere Bible friendly, ministry saturated, not hostile to things of you. You know, and, and he said, no, I want to start in L.A. because if it works in Los Angeles, it'll work anywhere. And this vision will no longer be running to finishing lines. It'll be running to starting lines. And so we said, okay, Lord, we'll set a date. How many know when the, when the Lord speaks in spirit, you don't respond in logic? And so we said, okay, let's set a date. So we set a date, July 2020. <laughs> I'm going to just say that again for the room to capture my pain. July 2020. 
Of course, for Americans, March of 2020 is when everything got dialed into chaos. And we are sitting in May, and we're like, God, what do we do? We're, we're like, we, we, like, should we cancel? Should we postpone? Should we reschedule? And all of a sudden, God's like, no, no. And then he stopped. He almost, well, he rebuked us. He said, no. He said, you're not allowed to give a budgeted version of my heart. You're only allowed to release the full version of my heart. We said, okay, Lord, give us the keys to unlock this city. And so he said, start by gathering the church. Through a small window of time, we were able to gather 641 senior pastors in a hotel ballroom in downtown LA. It was the largest faith coalition ever assembled since Azusa Street. And all of them, sensing the desperation of the hour in 2020, said this isn't something we should do. This is something we have to do, and we have to do it now. The, the, the region is vulnerable. The region feels the trembling. And we've got a moment in time where we can meet people not just physically in their needs, but spiritually in their needs. So we said, okay, Lord, what do we do? I'm trying to make a long journey short. He says, start by paying off medical debt. We're like, what? He says, pay off medical debt. So I'm here to make it a long story short. In 12 months, we watched the Lord pay off $47 million worth of medical debt for 23,000 families below the poverty line. That got letters. Yeah, thank the Lord for that. That got letters in the mail. Said, hey, the letter said, your medical debt's been dissolved, no strings attached, and if you need anything, contact Hope Center, and this is Pastor Wayne's information, and all that kind of stuff. You know, the truth was, is we geotagged that person's uh, address to be within a five-mile radius of all of these churches, because uh, our job is to platform the local church, not ask the local church to platform us. This is why I don't put my name on anything. And so I, 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 we were like, okay, this is really breaking some ground. Well, then all of a sudden, God said, go after foster care. Come to find out, Los Angeles has the largest foster care system in America. 40,000 kids right now trapped in the foster care system that cannot get out. And so we said, what, they spend millions of dollars every year to generate maybe 100 leads from radio ads, billboards, and TV spots. And we said, okay, let's put fire on this vision and put it in front of the church. While they spent millions and only generated a hundred, the church just began to capture a heart of God for these children and thousands of leads started to pour in and still continue to pour in to this day to where it's making a huge dent in the foster care system and gaining incredible favor with the governments uh, in Los Angeles and in the state. We went into all 35 state penitentiaries and we planted a church in all 35 because we said when a convict becomes a convert, they have a community to continue establishing covenant with God both in and outside the prison. And we can break the generational curse of repeat offending. I mean, we, we, God said, okay. And the next key was like, go after men. He said, America needs its families back. We said, yes, sir. And he said, in order for us to get our families back, we have to get our fathers back. And the only way we get our fathers back, if we call them into authentic biblical manhood and fatherhood. Making a long story short, we met in a window of time where we could mass gather. A hundred thousand men between the in-person and online audience stepped in to a 30-day Brave Code challenge and completed it all in Los Angeles. They said, I'm going to take spiritual responsibility of my sphere of influence and begin to raise my family. And I'm going to be an authentic biblical man and a version of fatherhood that this generation needs to see. Friend, that's revival. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you this story for a reason. Stay with me. We're pacing towards something. And then he says, then he says, he says, all right, now it's time for the stadium moment. We said, okay, we had already put six figures down on the Memorial Coliseum, the iconic Olympic stadium. And they called us about 48 days before we were supposed to stand in this stadium. And they said, hey, um, we're sorry, but we have to dissolve your contract. We're like, why? 
And he, they said, um, there's a neighboring stadium that inked their contract before we did, and we can't have two events at the time, at the same time because it will collapse the infrastructure, the traffic will be a nightmare, and it'll back up to the whole city. So, sorry, we can't host you in four events. So now, we are a vision that's been casting a stadium moment, with, and we have no stadium. Four hours later, we get a call from a brand new stadium, a $5 billion stadium just built for uh, the Los Angeles Chargers and Raiders. It's called SoFi Stadium. They said, is this missions me? We said, yeah. And they said, we've heard about everything that you've been doing. We've heard about the millions of pounds of food you've been shipping in, the $10 million worth of beds, fridges, dressers, and home goods that you've been giving out. We've heard about the foster care. We've heard about the medical debt. They, they walked us through our own journey. And they said, we want our name attached to that. And we want to know, do you want SoFi Stadium? Because we're willing to make this work. We want to be attached to what you're doing. And we, we said, well, first off, your, you, your price was here. And we're missionaries. Our, our budget's like down here. And then we said, and you also told us we were third in line. And, he's, and the gentleman said, well, we're going to work with you because we're going to call the first two people on your behalf. First person they called, hey, Taylor Swift. Here's what's, go- not lying. Here's what's going on in July. And they walked her through the whole journey. And they said, Taylor, would you move your date? She says, absolutely. And Taylor moves her date. They call the next person, hey, Kenny Chesney. Here's what's going on July. And Kenny, it, here's the whole vision, walks them whole through. And they said, would you move your date? Kenny moves his date. Then they call us. Hey, missions me. <laughs> Do you want SoFi Stadium? We're like, uh, yes, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> feel the presence of God in this room. They said, uh, we, we secure, that's how we secured the stadium. The next day, we get a call from some men who started a small music festival you might have heard of called Coachella. And they said, uh, we've watched your entire journey and we want some purpose. Great Jewish men, we want some purpose in our life. And we're tired of watching a generation be overdosing, carted out and escorted in ambulances and everything that comes with the scene. We're so tired of them uh, uh, seeing this. We want to have some purpose to our life. They said, can we run all your audio, visual, lighting, and streaming capacity for you? We're like, yes, 100%. <laughs> we feel that. That's God, right? And then they asked, well, who's your lineup? And we said, well, we're really posturing a lot of great conversation right now, and we'll be able to feed those names to you shortly. That's code for we're praying, and we don't know. (laughs) They said, well, you have 30 days. We said, okay. Two weeks later, these guys call us back. They're like, hey, who's the lineup? And we said, said, listen, we've really positioned a lot of great conversation. These people are ready, and we'll seed those names to you shortly. That's code for we're praying and fasting now, and we don't know. This is Los Angeles people. This is, I can go get the best Christian artists and worship leaders, but the truth is the only people that are going to show up to a stadium like that are Christians. And I don't want to waste God's money and waste his resources and his people's man hours so that we could take pictures of ourselves, feel good, and act like we did something when we did absolutely nothing. So I, I, we were like, let's get radical because we, we have a cry. We also have a calling and God's asking us that question. What do you want me to do for Los Angeles? And we said, God, we need a tier one influencer. We need a global icon that's a Christian. <laughs> I mean, no, that's a short list. That's a real short list. And then we said, we need one who's not afraid to share their faith. Well, that list just got real short. And then we said, who will do it with us on this date? And that could only be any, many, miny Justin Bieber. 30 days comes. And the guys from Coachella call us, and they're like freaking out. They're like, listen, it's been 30 days. We're like, look, 
Our history in the nations has taught us to have a higher risk tolerance than perhaps people in your industry. And that's called faith. Come on, church. Right? And we said, we've learned the miracle of giving God one more day. Would you join us just to give him one more day? They said, absolutely. We'll give him one more day. I mean, I didn't sleep that night. I was in my office, at my house, in the fetal position, breathing through a paper bag, thinking about the aliens and the gunshots all throughout my life. I'm telling you. But there was a cry. And because I had a cry, there was a calling that came on my life. And I knew that God didn't ask me a question that he didn't know the answer to. What do you want me to do for Los Angeles? The next morning, we get a FaceTime from Justin Bieber. Who says, with tears coming down his face, saying, this is exactly what God spoke to me. He told me that I would stand with the church of Los Angeles and I would give them the opportunity to work with the local churches and that I would use all of my influence and I would use all my connections to invite people to hear the story of Jesus so they can begin the journey that I've begun. And he said, can I serve this vision? And if you don't have your lineup, can I help you build your lineup? We were like, Justin, anytime your friends want to be our friends, like we're Gucci with that. Like we're so good with that. He gets on another phone and starts building like, hey, Chance the Rapper, hey, Jaden Smith, hey, Tori Kelly. He builds a whole lineup that Coachella guys had never had. And between all of their influence and them posting and people being activated, people getting off their phones, out of their homes, and onto the campus of a local church that was a surf center, serving a minimum of four hours that would get them a wristband that would get them in the stadium because we don't sell tickets, we don't take up offerings, we don't add a harvest from churches and their members, we don't do any of that. We are believing God. We're privately funded. We're believing God for every bit of this this money to come in and we watched half a billion people tuned in to that one night and heard the story of Jesus and overwhelmed our websites because why we had a cry we had a calling we have a question to answer Jesus says to you tonight Hope Center Brisbane Darwin Alice Springs, Morton, Ipswich, Redland. I'm telling the whole of the nation, what do you want me to do for you? The blank check has now been written. The keys to the kingdom are being extended. Faith is rising in this room. I feel it right now. The anticipation of a third great awakening to sweep across Australia like never before. Why wouldn't it start tonight? And why not in Brisbane? And why not with you? What do you want me to do for you? You know, I believe in the law of repeats. If you just go and look in your Bible in Mark 10, this isn't the first time Jesus asked this question in this chapter. Because James... And his brother come to Jesus. And they said, Master, we have something to ask of you. And then their mother's there. Master, we have something to ask of you. And what does Jesus say? What do you want me to do for you? Do you remember their response? Their response was, I would like to sit on your right. And the other said, I would like to sit on your left. And Jesus Completely disappointed, sister says, you have no idea what you're asking. It is not even my place to choose who sits on my right and my left. And you have no idea. He's totally heartbroken that two of his closest people are asking and answering the wrong way. 
I'm sure he carried the tenderness of that into this moment. And he's probably wondering, when is somebody going to stop being an echo for position? When is somebody going to stop being addicted to prominence, posturing, and affluence? When is somebody just going to sound different? When is somebody going to fill the atmosphere of the tribe that I love, the people of Israel? When is somebody going to get a cry? And then all of a sudden he hears, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people are saying, shut up. That we don't do that in this church. We don't do that. It's 2023. Calm down. You're not allowed. It's going to freak out all the new people. It's going to offend all of those who are comfortable and dusty and rigid and religious. Don't, don't talk like that. How dare you have adoration in your heart? They're like, stop. And they warned him, be quiet. They warned him, you better be quiet. No, no, we don't, we don't do that here. This is a church. What are you doing? What, what, this is a spirit-filled church. Why are you acting crazy? And he says, he says, they're telling me to be quiet. The one sense I have really good is my hearing. I don't have my sight. So I have been relying on my hearing. I don't even know when they throw down money until I hit, hear it hit the ground in front of me. His hearing, the very thing that he's been relying on, is now where the enemy is coming in. And instead of being overwhelmed by what he hears, they warned him, be quiet. Bartimaeus said, this might be the one moment where it all changes. This could be the one time I'm going to maximize this moment and I'm going to get even louder. I'm going to get even more undignified because I'm not an echo. I wasn't built to be an echo. I'm not here to mimic, replicate, and copy and paste someone else's cry onto my life. So he cries out even more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then Jesus stops, heart still disappointed, but yet tender. From the last time he had someone approach him calls for him. He, Bartimaeus is brought to Jesus and Jesus says, let's give this another try. What do you want me to do for you? This cry was pure, authentic, genuine, prophetic. Rabboni, great teacher, not just teacher, great teacher. That I may receive my sight the Bible says and immediately his eyes were opened watch this and he followed Jesus he got his calling there's a lot of historical reference that Bartimaeus was actually a leader in the early church throughout the book of Acts why would that happen because he had a cry he received his calling and he answered the question I believe that there's been a cry before I even got on the plane. God's been building and shaping and 
molding and developing. These leaders have been praying, fasting, stopping meetings just to literally call fire into these moments and these meetings beforehand. Christ started brewing. Friday, we started breaking that open. Saturday, language was now being put to the cry. And tonight, that cry is becoming louder and louder. And there might be something in your dignity that's telling you, be quiet. There might be a religious mindset, model, pattern that says you, you, you need to be quiet. I just wonder if you would get all the louder tonight. And you would say, that's it. I'm ruining myself. I refuse to be normal. I refuse to be average. I refuse to be 20 to 23. I want to be kingdom me. No matter what year it is. I, I, I refuse. Ruin me, God. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Wonder if there's an honest cry. Wonder if there's a transparent cry in the building. I wonder if there's someone in this room who would function like a Mary. God, I'm bringing my everything. There would be a David who would get undignified. And even when he's manipulated and made fun of by his own family, he said, you hadn't even seen the beginning. I can get even more undignified than this. I wonder if there's a Bartimaeus in the building who sees that there's a moment with God passing by. And if they don't speak up, if they don't cry all the louder, they could never get their calling. They could never get this question. What do you want me to do for you.